Oh, today's stuff is Ramad Aleph, and um, we pick up on um, the Mosi Rav Achabar Huna. It's about ten lines from the bottom, maybe a little more, on Lamad Amudbet. The line starts with the word Mizeh. Uh, Fourteen lines from the bottom. Okay, so basically, we talked in Mishnah that the Levi'im once... Um, the witnesses did not come on Rosh Hashanah, so they said the wrong um, per, uh, the uh, wrong Shira when they brought the afternoon Tamid, and from then on they they established the edict not to accept the witnesses um, from Mincha time onward, so that they would know that it would know that if they hadn't come until then, it would not it was not going to be Rosh Hashanah that day because they would not accept witnesses even if they came. Regardless, though, they ref- they refrained from Malacha for the remainder of the day in order that people should not. Tr- today, next year, less, with less weight and with less seriousness, which is part of the whole idea of Kedusha which is not our focus. Um, let's see, and then there was a debate in the Gemara we just did yesterday about whether it is the wrong thing they did that they said the wrong Shira, they said the Shira of the weekday, or is it that they did not say any Shira at all because they did not know what would happen. I just want to make a comment before we continue, which is, is that with this Mishnah, we have now made sure, not made sure, we have now um, established that the uh, topic of Kiddush Chodesh is in every single parak of Rosh Hashanah. It started at the end of the first parak. It went through the entire second parak. It went it, the first mission of the third parak. It could have easily been the last of the second because the third parak was about actually the shofar and Rosh Hashanah itself. But no, the first Mishnah had to have had to end the, the Kiddush Chodesh discussion, right? Raul based in Yisrael, and now in the fourth parak we have to once again get into the Kiddush Chodesh discussion. So I don't know what that means. I mean, my guess is that it's because this obviously was an area that was highly contested between. Between, you know, the Prushim and the Tzidukim, and of course, whoever controls the calendar controls the entire, you know, observance of the of the people, you know, the entire liturgical calendar, it was obviously something of great importance. I don't think it's any, it's just by, by, by chance that every single parak of Rosh Hashanah deals with Kiddush HaKodesh. Yes. Well, there you go. So anyway, let's take a look at the Gemara. Masi Barhuna. So Barhuna so now we're going to get to exactly what they would do. So in the morning Tamid of the, you know, of the 30th of Elul, the day they were expecting to be Rosh Hashanah, but, um, because it was all usually on the 30th of Elul, but nevertheless, since it had not yet, they, you know, witnesses would almost never come by the time of the morning Tamid, so the morning Tamid, they just established that the Shir Shoyom, they would say, would be the normal Shir Shoyom, like we say in our, you know, in our Sidorim, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever the day of the week is. They would not yet reflect the yunt of identity of it on Rosh Hashanah. On another Chag, they would by the morning Tamid, but on Rosh Hashanah, they would always do the day of the week by the morning Tamid. Okay, the Musaf, Mahomet, now, witnesses will come, and you realize it's Rosh Hashanah, so you're going to bring a Musaf. Okay, so what is the Shira that you say by the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah? Okay, so this is, you know, true, with the word Tru'ah, you know, praise forth to Hashem, our, to, to, to the Lord of our strength, uh, give blasts before the God of Yaakov. Okay, now that part is... Um, 
Okay. So obviously the Mizmor that is often directly associated with Rosh Hashanah. That's what you would say in the Musa. Um, now the Mincha, again, now you realize it's Rosh Hashanah, the witnesses came. What is the Shir Shoyom you say at the Mincha? At Mincha. Kol Hashem Yachil Midbar. The voice of God will um, cause the wilderness to tremble because that also is a mizmor that has a lot of idea of voices and sounds and cold as in cold shofar. So just to give you a sense. So it could be also that there's maybe a certain sense, by the way, of a certain maybe even masseboracious imagery, like the sound of God, you know, create all causing all of nature to tremble. But more significantly, it's just the idea of kol and the voice of the shofar, lishmoa kol shofar. Okay, so that's what you would say. Uh, uh, Rashi says that it's also that's Kedela has given that maybe the idea there of the voice of God causing all of nature to tremble evokes the idea of you know the mountain trembling and Matan Torah. Okay, so that's what you would say at Mincha. How about when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Thursday? So, um, um, so which, by the way, no longer no, does not happen for us. Okay, but anyway, but let's say Rosh Hashanah falls out on Thursday. I'm sorry, that's not, uh, Thursday, yeah. Thursday, I'm sorry. It doesn't fall out on Friday. Right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, right, so if it falls out on Thursday, right, which, uh, which does happen for us, <laughs> there you go, right, that's, that's why you get all those three-day yantavs in Tishrei, yeah. exactly. Okay, so when Rosh Hashanah falls out on, falls out on Thursday, so the Shir Shayyum of Thursday is Harinu Leilahim Wazainu, which is what you would have said in Shachris, because in Shachris you say the normal day of the week Shir Shayyum. So you don't want to say the same Shir Shayyum in Musaf, so because that would be the shir, that would be the Shir you would normally have as a Rosh Hashanah Shir, but if you said it in Shachris, what are you going to say in Musaf? So, so Shashir Shalom Hanino Limuzein Eloya Omer B'Shachrit Hanino B'Nei Shachosir B'Kofalat Zaparik. So, so rather, no, you're going to keep Musaf the way it is. Musaf stays fixed with that Hanino with that Hanino Lelochim Muzeinu. That idea of Tiku Bachod Shofar is always going to be the fixed Shira for Musaf. So you're going to change the Shira for Shacharit. So what are you going to say? So. Uh, what do you say in Shacharit instead? I have removed the bonds, you know, the bonds, uh, you know, I've removed from him the bonds. Now, of course, the problem is that that's the exact same parak as Harninu Lelokim Right. Okay? But the point is, they would divide the parak into two halves. So since it began, and part of that, even the part that does not mention Tiku Bachoda Shofar, but the, but the, the thing that speaks about removing the bonds and ages to Yehoshe Samo when Joseph went over the land of Egypt, was freed and went, and, you know, and was ruler of Egypt, it's understood that on Rosh Hashanah, right, Yosef was freed, if you remember that earlier discussion in the first parak. So what you do is you divide the parak into two halves. The Musaf you keep as the fixed, which is the Tiku Bachoda Shofar, which is what you want to be having for Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. The Shachris, which normally would be the exact same, you say the other half of that parak. You want it to be different, but you're going to say the other half. You won't do a repeat, you'll say the other half. So in the morning you say the, ba- the second half, which talks about Yosef being freed, and in Musaf you do the first half, which talks about Tiku Bachoda Shofar. Okay, now, that's all very nice if you know by Shachris that it's Rosh Hashanah. But let's say you don't know yet by Shachris it's Rosh Hashanah. 
So by Shachris you said, you said the normal Shir Shal Yom of Thursday. Mm-hmm. So then what are you going to do? What's going to happen at Musaf? So the Imbo Edim Achar Tamish Shachar, the witnesses came after Shachris, so for the morning you already said the Thursday Shir Shal Yom, and you already said Tikkumachot Shofar, then Omer Haninu, so then you're going to repeat it in Musaf, you will, have it, you, you, you will do it twice, even though you're going to repeat it. Okay, so you get the idea. So you have here, right? I don't know if any of these work because they've been left uncovered. I don't know what the first one is. Okay. So Shakrith, you say, Shir Shal Yom, the normal Shir Shal Yom. Musaf, you say, the Karninu, right? Which is the Tiku Bachode Shofar. And Mincha, you know, Tami Shabbat Harbayim, you say, Kol Hashem Okay? So that's what you do. Now, if it's Thursday, then this normally becomes Hanimu, right? That's the, that's the thing of Thursday. So if you know by Shacharis that it's already Rosh Hashanah, so you're only going to do the second half of this. You're only going to do the you know, the Aegis Yehose Shrama, which is because of, because of the Yehose, because that's because it's also, it's the second half, but that you'll do the second half, and here you'll do the first half, and Shalom Yisrael. This is relevant because of Tikka Bachoda Shofar. This is relevant because Yosef was Yosem Yisrael. But if you did not know by the morning, so by the morning you thought it was not yet, you didn't yet realize it was Rosh Hashanah, you're going to say Harninu, and you'll repeat Harninu here. Now, one minute. Why is that relevant for us? Because we're trying to prove whether what they did was when they didn't know, right? This is remember the question is when they did not know um, at mincha time, did they not say anything or did they say the weekday thing, right? That, that was the question, if you remember, in the debate in our Mishnah. What did you do when you didn't know? Did you not do any here or did you say the or did you say the weekday one? So now the Gemara is going to say, let's see if we can infer it here because here it comes to Shachris, witnesses haven't come. You don't yet know, and this mission is assuming, right, is assuming what do you do? You say the weekday one, even though it's going to lead get to problems you go back if it finds up here, right? But according to your idea that at Mincha, where they didn't know, they didn't say anything, so here on a Thursday, if you don't know a Shabbos, you shouldn't be saying any Shir Shodom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you see, obviously, when you don't know, you say the weekday one, and that's how you can get the scenario that you wind up repeating it and saying it twice. One minute. So it says like this. Um... So the Iyamarta Bishay Makohecha Dimisafka Rina Shira Dakhol, if you say that when you don't know, you say the weekday one, and that's what happened when they, we didn't know at Mincha time, Hainu Takamar Omar Vakoflo. That's why you'll wind up saying the Shir Shoyam Haninu Lukimuzenu, if it was Thursday and you didn't yet know, and then by Musaf when it became a Shun, you'll repeat it. And the Iyamarta lower Maklav, but if you say when you don't know you'll say it at all, my Omar Vakoflo, why would you repeat it? You shouldn't say anything Thursday morning. So I says no. Shani Hosam the Shir Diyomehu. No, that's different. Because here, right, the general practice on Shachris was to say the Shir Shalyom. That's what we did even when we knew it was Rosh Hashanah, right? Even in a normal day, let's say the witnesses came in and we knew it was Rosh Hashanah, Shachris we said the Shir Shalyom. If, Mon- if it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, or Shabbos, we would always say the Shir Shalyom even when we knew it was Rosh Hashanah. The only thing was, when it was Thursday, Rosh Hashanah, we didn't want it to be a repeat. But if we don't know, it's not so bad to say the, to say the normal Shir Shalyom, because that's what we do anyway on a normal Shachit, even when we know it's Rosh Hashanah. The issue we were talking about was when you don't know by Mincha time. There, right, when you know it's Rosh Hashanah, we never say the Shir Shalyom. 
So there, if we don't know whether at this stage, whether it's Rosh Hashanah or not, you could argue, don't say anything. Why say the the normal Shirshim is totally inappropriate here? So here, maybe when we didn't know, we didn't say anything, rather than saying something totally inappropriate. But here, if we don't know, fine, we'll do the normal Shirshim. It's what we normally do anyway, even when we know it's Rosh Hashanah. Okay, yes, Charlie. How could you know that it's Rosh Hashanah in time for the morning coming because it's given before sunrise? And the, court wouldn't yeah. be, the court wouldn't be examining witnesses that early. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe everybody saw it the night before and you told them, and you told them to hold off on the morning coming so you could finish processing it or something. Or maybe you accepted the witnesses very quickly before they got to pouring the wine because you would only say this year by the wine. Mm-hmm. But it is a good question. It would be very, very rare that you would know here. And that's basically, anyway, the point. Here we always say this year, Shir Yom. We basically never know at this stage is Rosh Hashanah. So to say we're just going to say the normal Shir Shir Yom is not... It, it, it makes sense. Whereas by Mincha, since you always, like, or almost always, by then know it's Rosh Hashanah, and we never say the weekday Shir Shayom when it's Rosh Hashanah, there, if we don't know, maybe we'll just say nothing. So you can't prove based on what you don't know if you don't know here, where we'll do the standard thing to tell you what you do when you don't know here, there we might do nothing. Yes? This is before they decided not to accept witnesses. Yeah, we're trying to right. We're trying to figure out in that pre-Takana period what did they do wrong that one time they did it wrong. Did they not do anything or did they say the wrong thing? Okay, let, let's just continue a little bit. Okay, um, Tanya, we turn the brights already. Yehuda Omer Mishum Rabbi Akiva, Barishin and Now we get to sort of move beyond that question of exactly what their mistake was and focus on just generally what was the Shir Shoyam. Okay, so this is the basis of our Shir Shoyam. This is the basis, right? Of our, it is in our, it is in Tanya. That's good. Did you remember that? Some learning comments? I know, but okay. Anyway, alright, so yes, it's a mission, Tommy. Let's say, or right, actually. There's a mission that's very similar. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Mishum Rabbi Akiva, Barish Omer, what do they say, what do you say on Sunday? What do they say in the base of Hashem To God is the land and it's fill. Hashem Shekana Vihikne Vishalit Bolama. Because God created the world and Hikne and transferred it over to human beings. Of course, He didn't transfer it over to human beings then, but it was for the purpose of giving it over. Vishalit Bolama and ruled over his, the entire world. So, it's interesting the word there because that doesn't seem relevant yet um, to the theme or to what happened on the first day of creation. What do they say on Monday? God is great and very pra- and much praised. Because he divided his, his creations, meaning he split, you know, the waters above and the waters below, and he, was, and he ruled over them. Now, what exactly that has to do with, you know, with um, with Gadol Hashem Umihulal Ma'od, Rashi says um, uh, because it's a negative. The pasuk is about with the, with the the end of the pasuk. There is what's the end of the pasuk about Bahar Show. Hold on, it's in God's holy mountain. So somehow the idea of God being up on a mountain and dividing the rakia from the land somehow evokes that idea of the division of the rakia and the waters above the rakia and the waters below that happened on Monday. to rule from Right. Yeah. So he has a place to rule from. Right. It wasn't there before. He exactly. Was, so there was basically a rakia. Shlishi hayomim on Tuesday, which is right when the earth brings forth the vegetation and the waters collect to make the ocean. Hayomim elokim nitzav ba'adat el. 
God stands amongst the congregation of God. He revealed the land. It rhymes a little bit here. You, you know, you wonder if there was also this was somehow liturgical as well. This very even this description. You hear these descriptions sort of are a little poetic. Um, so he revealed the land and he prepared the you know dry land for his community. So that's adat el. There's a sense of he made it habitable for people to live in. Eida. Brivi ayomim on Wednesday, which is the day that the luminaries were created. El nekamot Hashem. God is a God of vengeance. Hashem shabarach hamav levana. He created the sun and the moon. Atili parah meovdehem. And in the end, he's going to uh, get compens- you know, pay back those that worship them, the worshippers of the sun and the moon and the stars and the constellations. So that's a pretty funny thing to be associating with these things, which are <laughs> so much about giving us, you know, heat and light, and so you know, the, 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 and translating it in the through the lens of a vodazara. And I doubt. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, there is the pasuk in Varim, Asher Chalak Hashem Elokech Otam Mechol Hamim Asher Tachas Kol Shemayim. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What do they say on the fifth day, which is the birds and the and the fish? Haninu Elohim Uzeinu. You know, give forth a, a song to God of our strength. Hashem Shabara Ofos Vedagim L'Shabeach Lishmo. Because of all of the you know beauty of diversity of creature that that praise God's name. Rashi says we praise God's name by seeing the diversity of nature again. That's a pretty weak. Italian, you know, that whole Pusuk, Eidos, Bihose, Samo, Bateso, that's been, what that has to do with Thursday, you know, be, I mean, there's so many Prokim and Tehillim that talk about praising God, you know, and ones that more explicitly talk about praising God because of the beauty and diversity of nature. No, so, no, it's a, it's, but isn't it it's a praising of God specifically around moments of creation? Yeah. So where do you see that in the なんだ、ピコバホでショーバカセヨムハゲンキホフィシャルビサロリエコ。ウェザフスクリエーション。アンセデブソミニモアプロキメテルンダハフトゥドウスクリエーションエンプエンユノウエンエンデビューティライト。
The Rav Kihina. And what they're debating is the debate of Rav Kitina. Of the, the, the position of Rav Kitina. The Rav Kitina, because Rav Kitina says, Shista Afe Shane Havi Alma. The world will exist for 6,000 years. So we're in the last uh, 200 and change years of the world. The Chad Charev. And one year it'll be destroyed. There will be, all of creation will cease. Shanemar, Viniskava Shem God will be, will be lifted up alone on that day. And I give a day of God as a thousand years. Um, so that's what Rav Kitina says. Abai Amar Abai disagrees, and he says Trecharuv. It will be destroyed for two thousand years. We will be brought back to life because the idea is after this period that the world will be destroyed, then there will be Tchias Hamesim. So after two days, we will be brought back to life, and therefore um, it will be two thousand years of destruction that there will be no world. So therefore, whether you can say Nizmoshir Liyom Hashabbat refers to a thou- the future will be a thousand years that the world will cease is if you hold like Rav Kipino there will only be a thousand years but if you hold like there will be two thousand years then that has to be referring to the past again it's funny because why anyway it still doesn't get to the point of why Rabbi Akiva would be shifting the focus from the past to the future why shouldn't we be talking about Bracious why should we be talking about you know this uh, sort of future time and why do you want to be singing about it I mean it's one thing to sing about like you know when we talk about Shabbos being Me'ain Olam Haba it doesn't mean the period when there's no human being in the world and everything is just talking about like the old Abba so why exactly would this be something you would be praising and singing about I really have no idea I should say this whole idea of a thousand years like the you know the creation modeling a thousand years epochs of a thousand years modeling the six days of creation you know there's like a famous Ramban in Breshit where he tries to sort of work this through you know for the entire history of the world how the first thousand years is sort of you know somehow is modeled after the first day of creation and the second thousand years of world history follows things about the second day of creation so you can read that Ramban it's interesting how this idea sort of gets played out and obviously also in terms of you know types of eschatological visions that you know well Mashiach is coming in 200 and some odd years or whatever but first the world will be destroyed that Mashiach will come well, so yeah interesting he's looking towards the fourth future know, destruction future redemption will occur after the period of destruction that's a very nice explanation okay so anyway so shifting from this interesting question of what the day would look like on Rosh Hashanah before the witnesses would come we now are just getting into the regular issue of what you would say in the Shir Shayyam now that we've done that now we have to get to the issue of Musa so let's take a look on Shabbos the Musa the Shabbos so that's what you would say at the Tamid presumably the morning and the afternoon Tamid what would you say in Musa so Rav Ananam I'm sorry no not the afternoon the morning we'll get to the afternoon in a minute that's what you say in the morning Tamid what would you say in the Musa so Mayomrim Amarav Anan Barava Amarav Haziv Licha so this is a very nice little acronym the glow is to you which is obviously the idea that there's a glow with Shabbat but also this is a way of breaking up Ha'azinu into six segments the initially six segments of six sukim, and then in the end, um, you know, four segments of six sukim and two segments of eight sukim. So if you look, Rashi spells it out, or at Tosos right here, inserted, Hazinu, Hazinu Hashemayim Ba'aretz, etc. Zichor Yimos Olam, that's the Zion. Yarkivei Obama Sayaretz is the Yud. Vayar, Vayar Shem Vayinat. Okay, so each of those segments is six psukim. Lulei ka'asoye vagur is the lamid. 
and the chaf is kiyadin Hashem Amo. Okay, so now it's a funny thing to be reading on Shabbat because if you know, remember the theme of Hazinu, it's not so cheery, right? It's about you know yeah. we sin and God punishes us and God wipes us out. We, we would have totally wiped us out, but then in the end, so it's a little bit of funny. So let's take a look um, as the Gemara continues. The same way they're divided here into these six segments for the Shir Shayom of Musaf, that's how they're divided in Shur when you read Hazinu as the Parsha and how you divide the Aliyot. Um, of course, there are seven Aliyot, but we'll figure it out. Um, what would they say at the Mincha, meaning at the Tam Shabbat or Baiman Shabbos? So presumably on the normal, on the normal Korbanot on a weekday, you'd say the same thing you said in the morning but as we saw by Rosh Hashanah uh, at least on a Chag or whatever you would say a different Shir Shalyom in the afternoon so what would they say not so that we already now we know what they said in the morning Musaf they would say Hazinu what would they say in the Tam Shabayin Harbayim so Amar of Yochanan Az Yashir Az Yashir Moshe by the um, 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 which is the Shir Sayyam Umikamocha, and then Mikamocha, which is the second, you know, second part of the Shir Sayyam, the Az Yashir, and then the other Az Yashir in the Torah, which is Ali Be'er and Ula, the Shir of the Be'er. Mm-hmm. So what you wind up having is between Musaf and Mincha, all of the she wrote in the Torah gets said, gets said on Shabbat, the Shir of Hazinu, and the Shir of Az Yashir and Ali Be'er and Ula. Okay, but it's still quite funny because so okay now we a little bit understand why well, you got to say Hazinu if you want to say all the she wrote but still like you know Musaf which is all about like the identity of the Chag I would much rather do that I don't know Shiraz Hayam let's say or even Ali Be'er and Ula leave Hazinu for the afternoon it's still pretty funny because Hazinu is not the most uplifting of the, of the, of the she wrote in the Torah so um, Ibayalu they asked the question um, when you say that Hazinu is divided into six segments and, uh, and these other and Az Yashir and the two, other two into three divisions would you say it on one Shabbos all six segments for Musaf and all three segments for Mincha and there would just be like different you know music for each one or breaks in the music in the singing or maybe it would be on a cycle of six Shabbatot each Shabbos a different segment of Hazinu and a cycle of three Shabbatot a different segment of the other other Shirim. I've been thinking she wrote it. Shirim, right? Mm-hmm. Shirim. Okay. Um, so Tarshma coming here. Gitanya on Reb Yosi. Acher Rishona Omerit Achat. Reb Yosi says by the time the first, meaning Musaf, has gone through the cycle once, you've gone through one cycle of the uh, of the Musaf of Hazinu. Shniya Chazer Shtayim. The Tamit Shabbat Arbaim has gone through two cycles. So clearly that means that you are doing it one of one unit a Shabbos, right? So after six weeks. You've gone through one cycle of the Musaf, and you've gone through two cycles of the Tamisha Bainar Bayim. So it's not talking about that you would just away you divide the music, but you do the whole thing. No, you would actually do only one segment per Shabbat. Okay, so again, it's pretty funny. That means on a particularly given Shabbos, what you could be saying in the Musaf would be Fayar Hashem Where it's very bizarre, right? That you're not even saying the whole thing. You said the whole thing. At least you get a little context. 
text, you know, it's a little bit, a little more positive at the end. I do find it very strange that you would say Hazinu, that would be what you'd say at Musaf, and that you would actually even say just a few psukim, which could be very negative. Yes? I was going to say, probably the seven, the reason why it's the six and why even the seven aliyah, seven aliyah is not, is not part of the Right, and not part of the Shira. Yeah, right. correct, correct. The six of the Shira, and then the seventh is after the Shira. That is correct. Okay. So, Tosh, okay, so, so now we know what you would say on Sachris, we would say at Musaf, and what you would say for Shabbos, what you would say at Mincha. And the same way it sort of follows the pattern here, like we said by Rosh Hashanah, you would say one thing at Musaf, and then what you'd say at Mincha would be different than what you would say at, when you would say here. Okay, yes? Uh, um, can you take a question about the Musaf itself? Can I take a question? Yeah, because we, we sort of dealt with this yesterday. What? Uh, so they're not sure whether they can give the Musaf or not. Yeah, so we said yesterday that Tozu said that they would do the Musaf after the, after the Mincha. When they were, did not yet have the Takana, right. they would do the Musaf after the Mincha. I was wondering why most 20, 19 of the 21 Musaf animals are oloed. Yeah. So couldn't you give the... The Tznai? Yeah, Tozu suggests that possibility too. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. yeah. Okay. okay, so let's take a look. <laughs> um, okay. Now that we're talking about, so now we move from what they used to do in times of Beis Hamikdash, but then of course the shift was also that then they then there was a Chorban Abayis and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai switched it and said now we can accept witnesses. So now we're going to sort of shift gears into the Chorban Abayis. So said so said Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Yochanan Eser Matzot Nasa Shchina the ten ten um, um, travels. Um, uh, the Shechina moved or departed like 10 degrees of, of, of slowly departing from the Beit HaMikdash at the time of the Chorban Abayas. This was based on Psukim and Bayas Rishon. And that you learn from verses. And parallel to them, the Sanhedrin was exiled from its place in the Beit HaMikdash during the period of the Chorban. And that we know from tradition. Let's take a look. We know it from verses. Mikapos, the crew, it went from the from being on the cover of the Aron to the to the to the cherubim that were now the cherubim were actually molded on the cover, but you could say goes from like the space between the wings over the cover to be like maybe on top of the wings. But also, Rashi says, you know, in the in the Mikdash of Shlomo, they had these huge uh, statues of of Kruvim, you know, uh, on the ground. Um, so it went from over the Aron to a top of one of the statues of the Kruvim. Mikapos um, the Kruvim. From one of the Kruvim to another Kruv, from one Karuv to the next. But obviously, this is very, um, if not anthropomorphized, but yeah. very, but very, um, uh, you know, uh, talking about it in like a physical sense. But, you know, that's what you get in the Torah. The sense of God's presence, you know, it appears in a cloud, and there's some physical expression of the Shekhinah. And therefore, this thing is moving. It's on the move. Um, it's in exile. Um, so, uh, the Kruv Lamistan, from the Kruv to the, uh, to the, to the, to the threshold of the, um, you know, where the, where the, um, where the, uh, the excuse me, where, uh, where the, um, you know, either goes to the Ulam, or more likely where the Ulam, the threshold of the Ulam, which is like the, uh, entrance hall, um, goes into the Chatser, right? So, you know, the basic sort of structure, right? You've got your... All of this is roof. Okay, this is like the entrance hall. Okay, and then you have the open chaser, right? And here's the Okay, so here's 
So first it goes from here to, if we take Rashi, here are these standing proving. It goes from here to here, and then to that. And then it goes to the threshold, so it's now sort of weaving. It's sort of weaving the, the uh, you know, the Hekal, and it's on its way out. It goes to the threshold, um, into the Chatzer. Um, Mistan Chatzer, from the threshold into the Chatzer proper. Um, Chatzer And then, so, you know, here there are like steps. So it's on the threshold here, and then it goes into the chaser, and then from the chaser it goes onto the mizbeach. The chaser the mizbeach, and the mizbeach lagag from the mizbeach to the roof. Umigag lachoma. So there's a question here exactly in the gear stuff, but anyway, so what, which roof are we talking about? Rashi says, uh, "Where's Rashi?" Uh, Rashi says, "Hold on." Sorry for Rashi. Migag, Mizech, Lagag, Migal, Chama, no, Lagag, what does the Chama say? Hold on. Lagag, Hahichal, right. So Rocky says, which is a funny thing, he's sort of like jumping backwards. Because, uh, the way, because the only thing that has a roof here, right, are these things are like, you know, these are like roofs. So then it's a little bit jumping backwards. Some want to say the gear says that it goes to, it goes to the wall and then from the wall to the roof of it's a little unclear what the roof is the ground has a different version he says anyway he said he says first it goes to the roof here and then from the roof then it goes down anyway so not exactly clear it's going back to the roof of the Hikhal but it might have done that before so anyway from the Mizbech to the roof and from the roof to the wall the wall around the so anyway it went from some roof here it went to the wall and now from the wall, now it's leaving her, now it's going to completely leave her by us all together. Umidag le'ir, now goes into all of Jerusalem, me'ir lahar, um, and from the Jerusalem to the mountain, which is the mountain, which is, uh, har hazetim, the mountain opposite Jerusalem. Um, umehar midbar, and from there it goes into the wilderness, midbar Yehuda. Umimidbar al-tav yashrabim komo. And once it left the wilderness, the Shechina went and dwelled in its place in the heavens, um, and left the earth completely. I will go back to my place. I don't belong here on earth anymore, going back up into the divine realm. And now we're going to show how we get this from Sukim. So we know the Shina begins on top of the Kaporeth. God wrote on a, uh, on a cherub and he flew. Some take out that verse because that's not in the context of the exile of the Shina. But another verse says, the presence of the God, the, the glory of the presence of the God of Israel lifted up from the crew that it was upon, El Mistan to the threshold of the house. So there you see it had somehow, even just by that Pasuk, it usually was on the Kaporet. But now we see it was on the crew, and we see that it went from the crew to the threshold. By the way, these Psukim are taken from all over the place, so it's not like the Psukim make it clear this exact progression. This was how Chazal wove together different psukim to explain this type of a progression. Okay? And the 
house was filled with the cloud and the, and the courtyard was filled with the shining of the glory of God. Now, I do want to say something about this idea of the Shekhinah, that word of the shining, because in general, right, if you think, there's a lot of times now we're reading Bamidbar where it says, Uchvod Hashem nirab be'anan, the glory of God was seen in the cloud. And it makes it seem like there is this thing called Kavod Hashem. Yeah. And it, based on Psukim, like the one we just read, the Noga Kavod Hashem, the shining of the glory of God, the general way that scholars understand that what the Torah refers to when it says Kavod Hashem means some type of a shining that represents the, gl- presence. the presence of God yeah. and it's near Abe Anan because you can't see it directly you have to see it through a cloud it's too powerful to see that shining directly so that's why it's seen through a cloud but it means something is there there's some shining so when it talks about the departing presumably it means it's also in some physical in its physical manifestation as well not just in some like you know like some theological way and therefore the actual shining and or maybe that was enveloped in a cloud is moving from each from these places and slowly going into exile. Is there, is there, is there a light right. embedded in oh, that's a nice point. Uh, right, right. Okay. And from there it goes to the to the to the uh, altar. God was on the altar, so uh, he's all he's left the floor of the chatzer. It is, be- it is good to sit on the like, corner of the roof. So better, to, like I'm getting out of here. Better to go up to the roof. from the roof to the wall. that God was on the wall. The voice of God uh, to the city, Ikara will call out. So it's calling out to the city, but somehow it's also like in the city. Okay, Umeir Lahar, and then from Jerusalem to Har is a team. God, the, the, the presence, the glory of God removed from the midst of the city. Vayamod Alahar, and it was on, stood on the mountain, Asher Mikadem Le'ir, to the east. So it's Har is a team. Umehar Lamidbar, and from the mountain to the wilderness, Tachsif, Tov Shevet, the Aret Beret Midbar, better to dwell in a land, in, 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 you know, in the land of the wilderness, you know, rather than to dwell, dwell among like sinning people is the idea. And from there it went to its place to receive a lecha shuva el makomi. I will go back to my place. So, you know, this is very poignant, like this idea about, like, you know, about A, just the fact that it just brings the, the powerful image of God departing and, you know, God leaving the earth and what that means, you know, the presence of God on the earth and now it's no longer there. And when you sort of describe it in stages, I think it makes it more powerful and poignant than if it was just like all of a sudden. But it's also powerful and poignant in the sense of God's, you know, desire to hold on and to still hope it won't have to be. And like the slow departure, the, you know, the hope that it won't have to happen happen, and that sense of God always hoping for us to do tshuva, and um, not to have to leave, which is, you know, the next line, which the Gemara says like this, It waited for six months. Maybe we would do tshuva, and it would not have to leave. Kivan Shalom Chazru, once we did, did not do Shuvah, Amar, God said, Shekhinah says, Chitach Atzmam, let their bones be blasted. Shenemar, the Inei Rishayim Tachlena, the eyes of the wicked will waste away, Umanos Avad Minehem, and, um, like, escape will be, will be, will be lost from them. Vatikvasam Mapach Nafash, and their, their longing will be like a, uh, like, a, you know, a, uh, a, a, an emptying of the soul, or a blasting of the soul, which means that you long for something and it doesn't happen. Um, and God says, to heck with you. I waited six months, goodbye, and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, but again, that idea of waiting, waiting, waiting. Look, you know, also the Torah is constantly about 
Shocheni Tam Betoch Tumotam, that God knows that we sin, and God still has agreed to dwell among us. And here the point is that the, the sin got so much that God could not maintain that, could not maintain being among us with the sin, but even so, that desire to still be among us, and the slow, slow departure, hoping we'll do tshuva, it's just a very, very powerful image. Yes? These verses were not written in the right chronological I said form. that. I said these are all over in the Gemara. It's not like they're in the verses. It's the yeah. rabbinic read of weaving together the verses to tell this story. Okay. So now the Gemara says like this. Um, okay. And similarly at the time of the Chorban, the Sanhedrin went in exile and that we know from tradition. They went from which was a, a chamber that they had you know in the uh, you know in the Azara um, it, 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 you know, in the courtyard, um, and they went from there to the Chanut, um, the stores. Anybody knows the, you know, in Jerusalem, you know, they have the cardo, you know, they show you the stores that they had that were lining at the bottom of Harbayas. So that's where they moved. They moved to the bottom of Harbayas. They took up a storefront there. Okay? Ume Chanut, um, And from there they went, they moved into more central Jerusalem. From Jerusalem they went to Yavna after the Chorban Abayas. That was the Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai story. Ume Yavna Usha. Then they went from Yavna and they went to Usha. Why did they leave? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, To Shahaya Hanasi Dar, Bo, Kivan Shaisa Sanhedrin Imo. The Sanhedrin would follow the Nasi. So when the Nasi decided to move to Usha, the Sanhedrin went with him. Ume Usha to Yavna, and then they went back to Yavne um, and um, Yavne Lushen and back to Usha so the Nasi kept on moving back and forth whether it was um, Rebbe Namliel and then his son Rebbe Shimon so the, so the uh, Sanhedrin moved back and forth by the way using the phrase exiled doesn't work so well here, right? Because no. it's not like a, a, a sense of slowly detaching and departing. You're out of Yerushalayim, and now you're just moving around to wherever the Sanhedrin is. So the same, it's not the exact same sort of narrative as exile once you're in this stage. Which was the next place that the, the house of the Nasi was. Right? We know Beis Sha'arim, right? And they've done these excavations in Beis Sha'arim that they have about, you know, the Nasi's house, right? Isn't that the way they have those extensive excavations? Yeah. Sharim. Right, exactly. Okay. And then they went to Saitori, and Mitzvitori, Litveria. All of these were where the Nazi's house moved, and the Sanhedrin would move with it. Litveria Amuka Mikulan. Litveria is lower than them all in terms of like the physical depth. Right? It's below sea level. And you have been low, and you will speak from the land. Now, that maybe is to help fit in to the exile um, imagery you know that at the end of the process they're very very low because otherwise after you've left Yerushalayim what exile is it? it's moving around but is it like more exile than before? anyway that's but still the imagery is obviously they're no longer in that fixed established place it's constantly you know moving and in transition now I want to say something about this when did this happen? so obviously this happened in the time of the Bayit Sheni it's all about where Rebbe moved and you know and Rebbe Shimon and Rebbe Gamliel and the house of the Nazi and so on what? post Bayit Sheni post Bayit Sheni Right, but you know, as before the Baishini was destroyed, they moved out of the Lishkara Gazi to the Chanut and then to Yerushalayim, and then after it was destroyed, they left from Yerushalayim to Yasna. 
So it's interesting for a moment to consider the parallel that the sense of exile that occurred in Bais Rishon was an exile of Shechina. Exile that occurred in Bais Shani was an exile of the Sanhedrin. You know, and does that reflect the idea that the, um, you know, like in the Bait Rishon, you know, the sense more was like, you know, with the sin in the Bait Rishon, like we say, but the sense much more was that it was about religious sin. That even though Shechus Damim is obviously also, you know, a crime against the person, but the sense much more was primarily, really, if you read the Psukim, it's a lot about Avodah Zarah, and it's a lot about religious sin, and there it's like the edge of the Shechin is departing. Whereas by Shani, right, it was about Sinat Chinam, but what it really means, I mean, the way Chazata, what it really means is the amount of infighting, the lack of leadership, right, the lack of, you know, the whole famous stories in, in, in Gitin about, you know, about, I'll make a little nick in the lip, and then the rabbis weren't willing to sort of do the right thing and take the right leadership, or the Kamsa Bar Kamsa Tre. Anyway, it's all about a failure of leadership and a failure of, you know, the divisions of the people. So to think about that is not the exile of the Shekhinah, but it's the exile of the Sanhedrin, you know, about the, about the religious leadership and how that is sort of the one that is in exile and is departing. I think this is a powerful sort of, you know, parallel that is going on. On there. Um, okay, so now the Gemara continues. It wasn't ten, it was six for the uh, Sanhedrin. Because Lo is the one that dwelt on high, maybe Heshach. Anyway, the one who dwelt on high, the elevated city Yashpilena, will be brought down. Yashpila ad aret, brought down to the land. Yagiena ad afar will be brought to the dust. Anyway, so if you count the various verbs or phrases there, you get six, not ten. Amrav Yochanan Misham Atidin Ligael. From there they will be redeemed. Shenemar Hitnari Meafar Kumi Shivi. To bestir yourself, get up from the dust, return, and therefore we will turn from that exile. Um, so again, very interesting, you know, because also the sense, again, about the parallel, the Shechina eventually goes up to heaven. What eventually happens to the Sanhedrin? Right? Does it like disband? I mean, in a way it does. The idea of a central Sanhedrin does disband, and then it becomes no longer centralized. So anyway, but I do think that, as I said, there is this parallel about the, the sort of God leaving or the sense also of the, the failure of leadership, which is sort of the second Beit Hamikdash. Okay, so that was a very interesting end of that. Yes? There's that uh, a period of six months that the Jews are free before they leave Egypt. They're no longer slaves. Right. I was just thinking there's a, there's a six Similar. months here. I don't know oh, that's interesting. Six months. Right, so I did want to say where it got six months, so that's a good question. The Marsha says the six months is because there were six months from Asara Beteves till the um, ninth of Tammuz, and in the Bait Rishon, actually, the, the, you know, the, the ninth of Tammuz was the date in which the city was breached. So it actually was exactly six months from the time that the siege was laid. Although I think they were, were they the same year? I didn't think it was the no, same year. It is the same year? Artsville says that it was actually 18 months. Ah, a year and six months. Ah, yeah, the Marsha may have pointed out from Asarabatevis till the 9th of Tammuz is six months, but it was a year and six months. All right, anyway, but that's an interesting point also, that sense of gradual, and we had sort of the gradual process of redemption as well with the idea of six months. That's a very nice parallel. Okay, so as I said, before we get back to Rosh Hashanah, you know, we're here now with the context of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, but we are now focusing two Mishnayot of this on once again for top of Kiddush HaChodesh. So let's take a look at this one. Amr Rabbi Yosho ben Karcha V'od zos Hitzim Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkar Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkar made the following takana Sh'afilu rosh beistin b'chol makom even if the head of the beistin was in any place 
that the witnesses would not have to find out where the head of the basin was even though you normally needed the head of the basin to do Kiddush HaChodesh but you wanted the witnesses to always go to one fixed place you don't want them to have to always say oh he's not here today everybody's got to move somewhere else you know like the same way they wanted to make sure there would always be a nice meal for them if they came on Shabbos and they'd always make them feel like they were doing something useful you don't want you want them always to go to a fixed place so that with his Takana you don't have to start running after the head of the Beitim by the way besides the obvious practical benefits of this I think it ties into something we discussed on Shabbat about the issue was it Yavna or was it Kol Beitim that the shift from Mikdash to Torah also brought with it a decentralization so here too the idea obviously there's a practical element but the fact that you're willing to be Mochel on the head of the Beitim and to allow the Beitim to function without the head you know also is a move in a sort of in a non-hierarchical decentralization type of, an, of a way so I think these are all very important in terms of that shift from Mikdash to Torah okay so the Gemara says like this Hai Ichita there's a certain woman that's Manuel Ledina that she got a, um, a a subpoena or whatever not a subpoena but she was uh, sort of made to you know she, she, whatever it is she's a, a Hasmana we would say to come to court she was actually a, a borrower and the creditor was uh, suing her and demanding that she come to court that is a subpoena okay. no? that is a subpoena yeah, no. yeah. a summons a summons subpoena is testify right okay thank you it's a summons she got a summons to appear before a memer in Nahardai but it happened to be that that day a memer was in Mechuzah she refused to schlep all the way to Mechuzah so so they wrote a uh, like a cherem on it like a you know like a like a like a, a document that she's in um in a, what would we call it now in a contempt of court okay so that this happens nowadays as well you know they write like a shamta like they put say somebody's in contempt of the basin um Ravashi Ravashi said to how could you do this to her our mission says so obviously it's not the same as the Kiddush HaKodesh but it's the same logical point you know people shouldn't have to schlep after where the, where the chief judge is they should just go to the fixed location of the court and if you're not there somebody else will deal with the case so it seems like a very reasonable argument on my legs he said back to him that's for testimony for the wound because if you make them say oh you all came but he's not here next month they're not going to bother coming and that's the same idea we had you know earlier about the, about the Seuda and about let, you know all those other things that they did for them but here the, the borrower is a slave to the creditor meaning you know you borrowed money you know you have a right he has a right to schlep you around if he, in order to get his money back now you often wonder I mean, let's say it means she's claiming she didn't borrow money you know <laughs> let's say that's what's being contended but anyway but here the point is we don't have to worry about what the larger consequence will be because uh, you know people are entitled especially if you realize that they didn't charge interest so lending money was all like a chesed you know essentially that we would have as a system would be you know tipped in favor of the uh, creditor makes sense of course the question is as I said what happens if it's not clear if that's exactly what's being contested that's strange that it's a woman like, why does it have to be a woman <laughs> I don't know. Tana Rabbanan, in Kohanim Rishayim lalok besandaleihem luduchan. The Kohanim could not go up. This is in the Beit Knesset, not in the Beit Hamikdash. And Beit Hamikdash, the Kohanim would be barefoot. In the Beit Knesset, they could not go up to the Duchan to do Berachas Kohanim wearing their shoes. This is one of the seven takanot that Rabbi Yochanan Zakai made. What nine? Excuse me. Why? Why did he do this? So the Gemara there explains that if a Kohen has his shoes and he bends down to tie his shoelace, 
So then people will see that he's not uh, participating in the Birchus Kohanim. They won't see him, you know, they'll see, he'll be crouched down and they'll think, oh, maybe he's puzzle, other types of concerns. It's a pretty funny, you know, that, that, you know, of all the big takanot that this type of a thing, um, you know, seems to be a little bit minor in that context. But anyway, that was one of his nine takanot. So now we're going to discuss what was his takanot. So she's the high pirata, six that we mentioned in this parak. Which are the ones we mentioned in this parak? So, um, so uh, thi- uh, um, this one, ex- um, and, shofar, right, and the five in the middle, which were blowing shofar, um, lulav, you know, blowing shofar in Yavne, lulav, on, lulav the seven days, not eating the whole day of the sixteenth, the new grain, um, t- accepting the witnesses, um, accepting the witnesses after mincha time on Rosh Hashanah, and the witnesses would always go where the uh, you know where the basin was, regardless of where the of where the head of the basin was, and this one that we just mentioned. Which is uh, which is about the tying of the shoelace. It's not really the high pirate. It really isn't sota. But okay, it's, we mentioned it here. Those six. Um, now, by the way, and I'll repeat the point that I said yesterday. If you think about it, almost all of them are not really about being like sort of holding on to the memory of the Beit Hamikdash, but shifting us. To, away from the Beit HaMikdash like all the things that we said now Yavne is the center now you don't longer have to have the Takana about not accepting witnesses we live in a different reality there's even a different reality about the Omer but like it's all about the new reality that we are living in and shifting the focus away from Mikdash and embracing the new Torah-centered and Basin-centered um, reality there's one about the age, about the witness about the uh, about the uh, Birchus Kohenim I don't know how that really exactly fits into the scheme but anyway that is I think it plays into your your overarching theory. In other words, here he's making a takana that's ruling over how the protocol of Kohanim outside of the Mikdash in a decentralized context. So you mean like the rabbis are telling the Kohanim what to do? Yes. So it's e- emphasizing rabbinic authority over Kohanim yes, practice? Over their rituals. Oh, that's interesting. That's wow. interesting. Huh. That's an interesting thought. Okay. Okay, the Chadza the Pirkakama, one of the first parak. What was the one in the first parak? So the one in the first parak was um, that they would all, the, 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 uh, the uh, witnesses that would come to testify after Chorban Abayas would only violate Shabbat for Nisan and Tishrei. Another perfect example of how things are different after Chorban Abayas. Mm-hmm. Right now, we don't do it for every month. We only do it for the months that really matter for the calendar, that the witnesses violate Shabbat, only for Nisan and Tishrei. Again, embracing the post-Mikdash reality. Okay, that gets us to seven. The Izach and the other two are really debated. If somebody converts nowadays, so the halacha is that a convert would normally bring a bird sacrifice as part of his process, a conversion process, which obviously we don't do and we say that the evidence isn't necessary nowadays, but it would normally be part of his conversion process. So what is, would be the halacha? He has to set aside money for his bird sacrifices even nowadays so that when there is a base of mikdash, he'll be able to bring those sacrifices. Reb Yochanan already, um, you know, uh, already avoided that because of the takala. What's the takala? You have money in your house that's sanctified for a sacrifice. You might come to misuse it. Now, again, besides the hetkish misuse problem, again, a perfect example of not turning backwards to the Beit Hamikdash, and it's even more powerful in the context of a ger. Imagine you're a ger, and we tell you. You know, your process didn't really fi- finish. Technically, you're still a gear, but it didn't really finish. So set aside the money so when there's a base of mix that you can finish your process. 
So the entire time this person is thinking, I'm not fully a Gary yet because I haven't finished my process, right? So, you know, and it's just holding on to this fact that I still have to bring a Korban. So you say, forget about it. Don't set aside the money. Forget about the fact that you need to bring a Korban. So again, very powerful in terms of the looking forward rather than looking backward. Who said that about Rabbi Yochanan? Okay? So that gets us to, to eight. I'm sorry. So that wasn't debated. So we had six in this paragraph. One in the previous one, which was about the... Uh, the, the, the Adim coming only on Nisan and Tishrei is seven. Eight is about the Ger. And nine is a debate. The Edoch, the final one, is Pluxa de Rav Papa Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Rav Papa Amar, um, you know, we're going to have to end here. So we will finish with this and find out what number nine is tomorrow. <laughs>